Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of the inner game of tennis by Timothy Galloway, the ultimate guide to the mental side of peak performance. So this is all about tennis, but it's not really about tennis. It's saying that every game that we play consists of two parts. There's an outer game and an inner game. Of course, he's a tennis coach, so he's focusing a lot on tennis, but I've quite recently found this useful in many different areas, particularly on the dance floor, right? Is the, the outer game... Mate, of, where have you been going for dance floors? We've been in lockdown for six months. That's actually a good question. <laughs> just are you even a personal <laughs> dance floor at home on a Thursday night or something? Well, you actually just called me out <laughs> bullshitting there, Ash, as we occasionally do on the podcast, to be honest. So that's, uh, that's not too good. But let's say you're going on the dance floor. You're the outer game, right? The... Your two two selves are going into it. There's song one, you're a very different person to song 10 when you're going nuts on the dance floor. <laughs> and that's where you're hitting peak performance is probably where your unconscious is letting go and going hard. That's right. So the outer game is the game that's played against some kind of external opponent. You've got to overcome external obstacles to reach an external goal. And then you've got the inner game though, of course. The inner game, that's where you've got the internal obstacles and that's where you're playing really against yourself. You're playing against your own mind. The inner game, the obstacles you're going to face are things like lapses in concentration, nervousness, self-doubt, self-consciousness, self-condemnation. And in short, we've got to overcome all these uh, obstacles of the mind if we want to excel and improve our performance. 100%. And this, in this episode and in this book, what's what we're going to be covering is all about trying to find your peak performance in whatever domain that you're looking at. And we're going to cover different things, including that what is the true basis for finding that self-confidence? Why is the secret to winning any game uh, lying in not trying too hard? So this book, we're going to be telling all these things through the metaphor of tennis. But of course, you can apply this to whatever your tennis may be, whether that's like Jonesy on the dance floor, whether it's just talking to people, whether it's excelling in your career, whether it's some kind of sport, learning a new skill, learning a musical instrument, learning a language. Really, tennis can be a metaphor for whatever you're trying to do, whatever you're trying to excel at. Because really, this book, whilst it is an instruction manual for learning the game of tennis, really, it also offers a philosophy for mastering the game of life. The problems which most perplexed tennis players are not the ones dealing with the proper way to swing a racket because you can go to a coach to learn how to do that or watch a YouTube video or read a book. There's instructions everywhere on how to swing the racket. It's also not about their physical limitations. They're not complaining about if they could only move quicker or run faster or swing harder. Really, the most common complaint of tennis players is they say that it's not that I don't know what to do, it's that I don't do what I know. That's absolutely the case. If you think about a lot of the books we've read, whether it be negotiation, public speaking, you know, Dale Carnegie and the Art of Conversation, like we know through reading all the things that you're meant to do and it is the problem that when it comes to applying these things is that it's hard sometimes to do what you know and translate it into action. If you think about other common complaints on the tennis court, they say, you know, I know exactly what I'm doing wrong with my forehand. I just can't seem to break the habit. Or they say, I'm trying really hard to do the stroke the way it's said on that YouTube video, but I seem to flub the shot and hit it off the edge of the racket every single time. Or they say, every time I get to near match point against a good player, I get so nervous that I lose my concentration. Or they say, I'm concentrating so hard on the one thing I'm supposed to do that I forget to do everything else. And as you can see, all these complaints about struggling in the game of tennis, they're not about the outer game. They're not about what the opponent's doing to you. All those complaints are about the inner game. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable how different two, you know, the one player can be in two different circumstances. If you saw Ash Barty 
kick ass at, say, the US Open and she won a few uh, Grand Slams and then you saw her at the Olympics and it was a totally different performance in the first games where she got knocked out in the first round. Same for people in any sport, really, kicking for goal, whatever it might be. When they get inside their brain, things can sometimes turn to shit. If you think of a way of a, a typical lesson goes, say if you've got some middle-aged businessman, they're keen on improving their skills so they can climb up the club ladder on the competitions they play on the weekend uh, and they think, okay, I'm going to go get some extra lessons during the week. You've got the tennis pro, they're probably paying a healthy little hourly rate to this person. The pro's a little bit nervous because they want the student to think that they're you know, worth the time, they're worth the fee that they're getting paid. So they kind of over evaluate and overanalyze everything and try to give as much instruction as possible. They think that their job there is to give instructions. You know, they'll say, oh, you know, good job, Mr. K, but you're, you're rolling your racket face a little too much on the follow through. Okay, then they'll hit another ball. Okay, that was better, but now you've got to shift your weight onto the front foot as you hit the ball. Okay, then they'll hit another ball. Oh, that time you swung your racket back too late. Make sure you get into position earlier next time. And then they'll say, okay, okay, that was a good shot. Do that again. So before long, you know, they're just spouting so many different instructions that Mr. K, he's churning with six things he has to do, 16 things that he shouldn't do. And he's just thinking, thinking, thinking. It's become very complex. And he's, there's so many things that he's trying to get it perfect. Oh, yeah. Next time um, Mr. K goes to swing that racket, there's no way you could register all 12 things before you, uh, before you actually try and hit the racket and improve your swing, right? But then by the, by the end of the lesson, just like, okay, well, that was good. I, I learned all these things. As, you know, I've got this massive list of things I've got to do now. Oh, the that was coach worth looks it. good, eh? The coach looks good. I'll, I'll pay him my money. I'll be happy. I'll come back next week to get a, another big list of, of things that I need to improve. Yeah, that's it. The author, Timothy Galloway, is obviously a superstar tennis coach. Uh, he was you know, in the tennis domain too, of course, and he admits to this over-teaching just like everyone else. It happens all the bloody time. But one day when he was in a bit of a relaxed mood, he was a bit more open-minded and he thought, all right, today... I'm just going to say less and give less advice today and just sit around and notice more. To his surprise, right, the students, they made their errors, but without him saying anything, the students began correcting the errors by themselves on their next shots. Yeah, maybe Tim, he might have been a bit hungover. He might have had a big night the night before, so he was just hitting. He wasn't really saying much. He wasn't really thinking much. His ego was a little bit bruised. He thought, I haven't said anything, but they've got better. But, you know, so he couldn't really claim any credit for them improving. But what was really worse, he got another bigger ego blow, was when he actually started, he thought, okay, I better start teaching now. He started telling them things. They actually got worse on the next shot. Yeah, everything just turned to shit again. (laughs) He's hung over. Pretty good deal. You could have a huge night, rock up and just fall asleep. (laughs) And you're going to do better than if you say anything. Timmy Timmy was on to a winner. So he sort of thought about something here. Okay, you know, he was thinking, okay, I've got, you know, my student Dorothy, she was a bit shit at the start, but I just kept hitting balls. I didn't say anything, but she got better and she got better and she got better. So he was trying to think, okay, well, what happens there when I tell her something? He said, okay, well, you know, try to follow through a bit more, get your wrist above the level of your shoulder if you, you know, if you want to hit some more topspin. Surely enough, Dorothy's thinking, okay, I need to hit my wrist a bit higher. Then the muscles would tighten, the mouth would clench, the eyebrows would furrow into a bit of a frown. She was dead set on doing this perfectly, following the instructions, lifting her wrist, and she was just trying so hard that she was so tight and so tense that she couldn't really do it properly and she just kind of just stabbed at it and it went way outside the court. Of course, the teacher goes, hey, that was a bit better, but this time just relax. Don't try too hard. (laughs) But if you tell someone don't try too hard, it doesn't really work like that. I remember our show when we used to work at the the tutor in, there was a, uh, our manager teaching one of the new staff on how to work the TAB, the betting machine. 
And uh, he was going in detail, detail, so many different steps. And then <laughs> looking over his shoulder as he was counting someone's money, taking the bets on. And of course, the, the day was just full of mistakes. Mm. Might be just pat, giving myself a pat on the back here. But when I was managing him, when the, the manager left, sort of just um, <laughs> left this new employee to run. Maybe because I just didn't give a shit too much. But just let him run. And then because of that, you know, there was just doing, I guess the, the author didn't probably have TAB betting in the mind when he was writing this, but but doing it without that, thinking brain um, was able to perform better and of course Tim he uh, he figured out how to fix these issues as well in his coaching and the simple fix is really to make the uh, the commitment to say less really and just let the let the student work it out for themselves so the next lesson after Dorothy he'd had that fail with Dorothy another beginner came along named Paul now Paul he was an absolute beginner he'd never held a racket before he was starting from the absolute basics now, normally, if you're starting with someone from the absolute basics, then you're going to teach them all these specific things of what they should do. Instead, Timbo thought he'll try a different approach. He skipped all those usual instructions and he just said, hey, Paul, watch me. And he just hit 10 shots. He said, watch me carefully, see what you see what you reckon, see what you like, see what you don't like. Timbo just nailed his 10 shots. And then he said to Paul, okay, take what you just saw, create a visual image in, in your head and just imagine yourself hitting 10 shots which is a pretty weird thing to do for a coach the first time, I reckon. And then he, and then he, so his Paul's going through this image. He's imagining himself hitting these, these ten forehands. And then Timbo said, "Okay, here's the racket. Let's start the lesson." And of course, uh, Paul. He said the first thing he noticed was that Tim he moved his feet into position, and then kind of gave a non-committal grunt as he hit the ball, and sort of just like visually processing it. And of course, when Paul had his crack. He dropped the ball, took a perfect backswing, swung it forward, the racket level, and with his natural fluidity and not trying too hard. And, of course, the, he ended up at shoulder height. And his first attempt was almost perfect. Yeah, it was almost perfect. But then Timbo, he just pointed down. He didn't say anything. He didn't say, do this better, change this. He just pointed down. And Paul said, oh, I forgot to move my feet, which was the one thing that he'd actually said that, that he'd noticed that, uh, that Timbo had done. So it was like the, the one thing that he'd consciously thought about doing was the one thing he'd forgot. Whereas all the other things, the, the backswing, the, the little turn of the wrist to get a bit of top spin, the follow through, the, the natural fluidity, that was kind of all perfect and he wasn't even thinking about it. It was just the one thing that he'd thought to do was the one thing he forgot to do. So Tim, over looking at the people who um, are not so impressive coaches all the way through his lessons in becoming a great tennis coach, he's learned a few things along the way. Images, they're better than words. Showing is better than telling. Too much instruction is worse than none. And trying, paradoxically, often produces negative results. So learning the inner game, it's all about approaching this state of being sort of unconscious or a bit still, uh, developing the inner skills that are required. It's interesting to note that through learning tennis, you know, quote unquote tennis, you can begin to learn how to focus your attention, how to trust yourself how to learn things in a bit more natural and intuitive way uh, and this, the kind of skills that you develop for the inner game of learning how to hit a perfect backhand can also be the skills of mastering this effortless concentration that's invaluable to whatever you try to set your mind to. When you're trying to learn something new, um, if it, say if it might be tennis and uh, you're trying to hit it as best as you can, a lot of the time you might find yourself saying things like, get up to the ball, hit it on the backhand side, keep your eyes on the ball, bend your knees, and you're just telling yourself things endlessly, these new commands. And for some, it's like hearing a tape recorder of their last lesson playing over and over in the head. Then you hit the shot, 
And then even more thoughts flash through your mind. You think, damn, I hit it too hard or I jabbed at it and it didn't follow through properly or you clumsy idiot, your grandmother could hit better than you. (laughs) The major breakthrough came uh, for the author, Big Old Timbo, when he understood that this art of relaxed concentration, realized when people are saying all this stuff to yourself, but you think, okay, when you ask people, what, what are you saying or who's saying what when they say, I'm saying this to myself? It's kind of like who's I and who's myself. Does that mean there's two selves? And that's kind of like what he split it out as. He said there's almost like there's two different people. There's the I and that's the one giving the instructions and then there's the myself, which is the ones who are performing the action and then I pops back in for a bit of an evaluation. So just to, to clear it up, he called these self one, which is like the teller or the instructor and then there's self two, which is like the doer. Yeah, it's awfully a lot, sounds a lot like Eckhart Tolle in The Power of Now and a lot of spirituality books having these two selves. Or even like Thinking Fast and Slow as well. <laughs> There's so many, hey? Um, but this is the first big kicker that within each player, whenever you're trying to do something, there's always going to be a relationship between yourself one, who's the teller, and the, the self two, which is the doer. And this is going to be the prime factor in determining your ability to translate what's your knowledge about what you've learned about the subject or the technique into the effective action of doing. Yeah, and the key to doing better in tennis and really the key to doing better in anything lies in improving that relationship, improving the relationship between the conscious and the unconscious, between the teller and the, just the natural abilities of the doer. Imagine that instead of being two parts of the same person, another way to look at it is think of it as they're just actually two completely different people. As an example, if one's a coach and, and one's the player actually doing it. And how would you characterize this sort of relationship? Yeah, imagine if the... The coach is the one who's saying, damn it, you, what did you say? You clumsy idiot, your grandmother could hit better than you. Imagine if that was your coach yelling at the, from the sidelines, yelling at coach. you. Or if you say, oh, damn it, keep your wrist firm, you stupid idiot. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say then, Ash? You're going to drop someone else. <laughs> <laughs> um, or, then, or then imagine if it's even worse. It's like, you know, just as the ball's coming over the net, keep it firm, keep it firm, keep it firm. Hey, are we still talking about tennis? <laughs> Jesus. Um, but imagine that. That's a shock. Well, it's coach. a good, in that context you were referring to, it's a perfect example of <laughs> yeah, this. Keep right. it firm and then who are you talking to there and is it actually helping? It's probably not. I think it's almost, almost always doing the exact opposite. Um, <laughs> Get us back on track. But imagine, imagine that. If you're, if you're the player and you're getting this abuse held at you from the sidelines from the person who's meant to be a coach, but really that's what you're doing all the time to yourself. That's your, your self one is constantly badgering self two. Self two is just out there just trying to hit the ball. Self one is like micromanaging, trying to tell it exactly what to do, how to do it, when to do it. And then as soon as it's done, then they're just hanging shit on it as well for how bad it was done. Yeah, 100%. Well, let's take a step back now and think about what's actually going on during the hit itself. Hit again in, in whatever context you want to define it, but let's just say it's a tennis hit. And if you look closely at the face of the player um, getting it done, you'll see that the cheek muscles are tightening and the lips are pursed in this concentration. And these tightened face muscles aren't really required to hit the backhand when you think about it. <laughs> Not at all. Nor do they actually help your concentration. So, Who's initiating so much of this forced effort? And of course, it's this self one bloody coach you've got in your brain <laughs> hurling bullshit at you. That's right. Either you know, self one, they're supposed to be the teller, not the doer, but they're trying so hard to monitor the doer. Either they think self two, maybe they, they don't hear very well, maybe they've got a hearing problem, or maybe they think self two's got a short memory, so they've got to keep badgering them over and over, or maybe they just think they're stupid, so they've got to micromanage every single element of what self two is meant to be doing. So here's the nut of the problem. Even though self two embodies all the potential you've developed up to that moment so far of all the practice up until that point, 
and uh, and it's far more competent to control the muscle system than self one because the unconscious is doing it. Self one does not trust self two, and that's the issue of all of this. Yeah, and that's what we get as the element of like trying too hard. Self one is trying too hard to control what self two is doing. And really, since childhood, we're told that you can't really get anywhere unless you try hard. You got to you know try hard to to do well. But then the sports commentators, they'll see if someone chokes, maybe it's the basketball at the free throw line, they'll see their, their elbow that's a bit too high or their, their biceps a bit too rigid and they'll say, oh, she was just trying too hard and she missed the shot there. So it's kind of like we're in this weird spot. If you can't do well without trying hard or then you can try too hard and then you don't do well, it's kind of like, well, what should you do? There's a bit of a paradox. We need to try hard but not too hard. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of commentators will hang in on players who – uh, not trying at all with this slacking off it's also just as just as bad so i guess it's the old uh, inverted u where the, the the middle ground is what we're trying to find here so it's old timbo again in one of his lessons he once had this housewife who came up to him and said hey mate i want to play some tennis i want to impress some of my friends and couples when we go out go out on holidays and i want to just slam it like roger federer and uh, she said i'm not really coordinated at all though but my husband wants me to get better so you know we can impress and, and beat all my neighbors Jimmy next door. Yeah, and she says, the one problem is that I almost always hit it on the frame instead of on the strings. And Timbo thought, well, you're probably exaggerating a little bit here. Like surely it's like maybe, you know, sometimes you might one out of 20 or something. It's hard to hit the, it's it's hard hard to hit the frame. Yeah, yeah. 100%. So Timbo thought, okay, well, let's just do a test. You know, the start of the lesson, we'll try it out. I'll hit 10 balls and you just hit a simple forehand back. And Timbo was perplexed that eight of the ten she hit bang on the frame, and he was like, "Wow, that that's that's almost it's very hard to do." And so he said, "Okay, well, let's try an experiment here. Try really hard to hit it in the center of the strings." He went to try to say that trying hard wasn't the way to do it. This time she only hit six on the frame, which sounds like an improvement, but she missed three altogether. So this time she's only hit one out of ten actually on the strings. She was trying as hard as she could to hit it on the strings, but she's hit six on the frame and missed three altogether. Next, of course, he said, try really hard this time to hit the balls on the frame. (laughs) See how you go. (laughs) Amazingly, she hit four on the frame, which is still bloody impressive. Um, And the other six, she almost hit perfectly out of the middle of the strings. So... Um, you know, she said to herself, damn, I can never do anything I try. But really, uh, the bulk of the problem again was trying too hard uh, isn't going to lead to a smooth stroke. Yeah, that's right. Tim, this time, after doing these demonstrations, he wanted to say, okay, let's, let's, uh, I'll give you a new set of instructions here. He says, don't worry about where you're hitting it on the racket. Don't worry about the racket, the strings, the frame, any of that. He says, focus only on the ball itself. So he said, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to just say watch the ball, but he said watch the seams of the tennis ball rotating as the ball is coming towards you. And in fact, don't even think about making contact at all. Just let your racket move to where the ball wants it to be, which is a bit weird, yeah? It sounds super weird to just say just let it happen. You know, the ball wants to be hit. The racket wants to hit it. Just let it happen. But that was his advice to her and she gave it a shot. Of course, and Jonah after this, Obviously, from that advice, not trying too hard and being relaxed and less tense. And of course, what's happening here, she's sort of letting the self one, saying to the self two, going, go on, you know, doing all right, let's just see what happens. <laughs> That's right. So, self two is not getting this thing, just screaming at it, trying trying too hard. And to her amazement, of course, um, the ball was struck perfectly. And in fact, she hit nine out of the 10 
bang on. So she pretty much did close the gap to, to Fed, that's which right. was the original goal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was only the last one that she hit on the frame. And I reckon after you'd hit nine perfectly in a row, that's when self one probably started coming in and trying too much. So what had happened was they'd occupied self one by thinking about and just watching and focusing really hard on the seams of the ball so that self one was out of the picture. Self one wasn't giving instructions or criticism. Self two could just take over and do what it had to do. And that's when she went bang nine in a row. It's amazing advice this, I think. I remember just just surfing or anything like any really any context this just applies beautifully to. Surfing's a one where it's all about self too. And I remember whenever you just try and get up on a drop in of a wave or something, I'm, I'm sounding better at surfing than I actually have. <laughs> but uh, as soon as you're trying it, I'll you know, we'll get no waves the day. But mm. the days when you're get in flow, you get a bit of self confidence and you're not thinking, you're just enjoying it, all of a sudden you're a superstar. So again, whenever you <laughs> I'm not a superstar, but, <laughs> but again, you know, just trying too hard, how hard that actually is, paradoxically, the trust is what it's all about. Yeah, that's right. So, because self one uh, doesn't trust self two and it's constantly trying to give instructions and criticism, self two doesn't, isn't allowed to do what it can do. But what Timothy's saying is really self two already knows exactly what to do. It just naturally knows. It naturally knows how to hit the racket uh, and hit the ball or it naturally knows how to surf or it naturally knows how to dance on the D floor. The problem is that self one's getting in the way. So if we can get rid of the, the constant chattering of self one and just let self two go about doing what it needs to do, uh, coincidentally, if we don't try so hard, we'll actually get better. So we've seen that the big problem is that self one doesn't trust self two. So self one's trying to get into the picture with all those instructions and all that chattering of telling self two always what to do. But actually self two already knows what to do. And that's what Timbo says that deep inside of us, our self two, our natural, our subconscious, we actually know exactly how to do all these things. We know how to surf. We know how to hit a tennis racket. Uh, we know how to dance. We know how to do all these kinds of things. So we kind of just got to, self one's got to get out of the way and just let self two do what it already knows how to do. Yeah, the relationship between self one and two, it's a lot like the relationship of a parent and a child. Parents have a very hard time letting their kids do something one way when they know it could be done better, like if they're kicking a ball outside and they're, they're missing it and stuff, mm. you just want to go out there and, and again, just start yelling at I them. Feel, and, yeah, if you like kicking, like I can just imagine if you were a parent and the kid's just like kicking a footy wrong, they're mm. throwing it up in the air, they're gripping it wrong, you just want to kind of go over there and like put their hands on it, hold their hands on it, guide it down to their foot, show it exactly what to do but sometimes it's not the best way to teach. Sometimes you just got to let them let them work it out, let it happen. Absolutely. That, that's it. Because a, a trusting and a caring parent is going to let the child uh, hold it in the wrong way and throw it up and miss the ball and stuff it up, um, you know, and make all these sort of mistakes. But the parent's going to trust the child's going to learn from the mistakes intuitively and that's how self too takes the learnings on. Like in, in many ways, we're pretty lucky that kids as they're growing up, they don't learn how to talk before they learn how to walk because, again, mm. you'd be seeing your kid there just stumbling up and saying, no, no, Jimmy, you got to put your hand there and your legs up and, and Jimmy's cell phone will just start um, struggling and they'll probably never learn how to walk properly. Yeah, exactly. Imagine if you, if you tried to say, this is exactly the angle that you need to put your foot out. You need to bend your knee exactly this much before you take the next step. If you're trying to give all those self one type of instructions and you're thinking about that when you learn to walk, as you say, they're never going to learn to walk. The best way is they just stand up, they wobble a bit, they'll fall over, 
They'll try try and get up again. They'll probably fall over again. They'll then take a really shaky first step. They'll eventually get to the point where they're working out, okay, self two is learning with every failure and eventually self two is going to take over and say, okay, well, here we go. Here's how we walk. Yeah, the important thing here is the kid doesn't really have this concept of mistake. They're just doing and self two isn't getting the, the judgment from self one. So the whole kick to all of this is just to go out there and just let it happen. Just whatever you're trying to do, just just let it happen. That's right. At this point, you're probably thinking, okay, Jonesy and Ashton, they've lost the plot here. You know, how can you just let a forehand happen? I've never played tennis before. How does myself too know how to hit hit a tennis racket or whatever it is? You know, I'm I'm trying to write a book. How does myself too know how to write? Or you're trying to swing a golf club. How does myself too know how to drive off the tee? Uh, especially if nobody's ever taught, you've never practiced, you've never learned. How can you just go out there and let it happen and just trust that self too knows what to do? We got to remember, just like the the kid, um, the self two actually does have a lot of background information because with every stroke and every every hit of the tennis ball, self two is learning the whole entire way how high the ball bounces, um, when it hits at various speeds, when it grips, how fast the ball moves after the serve, how the body should be positioned in order to meet the ball at the right point. All these sorts of things is getting feedback to the self two and has been learning this whole time. Maybe you haven't been been paying attention to this learning. Or when you uh, awkwardly just walk into a party, no one's on the dance floor yet, and but you wanted the dance floor to start kicking off and you want to be the leader to get the party going. Um, self one at the very start, when you're just telling yourself how to dance, you're not going to be able to move that quick. And I think that's probably why alcohol was invented because after six or seven cans down, there's 10 songs, self one's just been washed away with all the alcohol and all of a sudden, self two is doing it, and that's probably why you've got this huge dance floor, uh, which is a lot of fun by the end of the night. Yeah, exactly. When I was in, when I was in year nine at school, I was at an all boys school, and we had an opportunity to do ballroom dancing with our all girls school counterparts. And I thought, well, that was a good way. You know, I've been. Uh, it was a good way to meet meet some girls, and a forced way of getting pretty close to some girls as well to do mm. some ballroom dancing. Uh, but then, you know, the, I'd never done it before. I was extremely nervous. I wouldn't say that myself too knew exactly what to do. I was pretty tall, pretty clumsy, pretty awkward, pretty unco. And so I was just really focused on what the teacher was saying. You know, we're trying to learn the foxtrot, the waltz. And they were saying, okay, put your left foot here. Now move your right foot out to the side. Then pull your partner close. Then push them out. Then shift your weight. Then spin them around. Like all these things. So I'm just thinking constantly. I'm playing that. Myself one's playing that tape. You know, step one, step two, step three. I totally forgot that the whole point was just to meet some girls and talk to some girls. So I was so focused on nailing these steps that I wasn't really doing what I was there to be doing. And of course, my dancing was shit house. Yeah. Well, did you ever get, you never got there, eh? Never got there. Couldn't, never talked to a girl. I never learned to dance. So it was just a fail all around. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that is a fail all around. Compare that to uh, a lot of the TikTokers out there these days. Have you ever learned a so- song on TikTok? Uh I've done uh, had a crack. It's pretty yeah. impressive the way they're, they're moving a lot of the time and how quickly and the, the diversity of songs a TikToker can go to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you think if you think about you know compare my ridiculous experience of trying to learn how to ballroom dance compared to just like how a twelve year old would learn how to dance, they just see it on TikTok. They just watch what happens and then without like really thinking about it, without planning, okay, step one, step two, step three, just by watching it and then practicing it, they just like their self too naturally learns how to do it. So they, I don't think they've read the inner game of tennis in this context. They're probably just following the steps without even knowing it, right? Because the first thing we need to do, you observe the existing behavior non-judgmentally. They have a crack at the TikTok. They move the arm to the left. They move the, the, the leg to the right, whatever it might be on the dance move. And uh, if it's a little bit out of sync, non-judgmental about it. You know, it's, they're having a bit of fun as they do it. 
Yeah, that's right. The next the next step is to to just let it happen. After they've seen, they've pictured the desired outcome, they just trust self two that self two is going to work it out. They don't have all these conscious step one, two, three, four, five of step one saying do this, oh you fuck that one up, and then step two, you know, oh man, you stuff that up again, your grandma could do better. They're just letting self two take over and just letting self two naturally feel the dance rhythm. And of course, self two is the boss in step three, and that's where you got non judgmental observation of your changes and your results, where you move the the, the right leg a bit to the right too much. Um, you look at it and you go, all right, I moved that leg too much. I'm just going to slightly change it, have another crack, have some fun, upload it. Yeah. And um, <laughs> you're a TikTok millionaire by the end of all this. And then paradoxically, when you're, you're a 12-year-old, when, you, when your 10-year-old sister says, oh, that's awesome, how do you, can you teach me how to dance? Um, the, the 12-year-old boy is just going to say, oh, here, just do this. Like, they don't actually know step one, do this, step two, do this. They just intuitively know. So there's no way they can really teach it without just saying, hey, just watch and, and play along. Ironically, that's the better teacher. If you've got a, a dance teacher who's 35 years old, they say, no, that's not how you teach, <laughs> mate. You need to read this textbook and tell them step by step. But in reality, actually just showing them how to do it and say, this is how you do it, that actually is the best way to teach. There's two games of tennis we've been talking about. You've got the outer game, which is played against the obstacles, presented by the external opponent and played for all your external prizes. Then you've got the inner game, which we've been talking about today. And this is played against the internal mental and emotional obstacles for the reward of knowledge and expression of your own potential in whatever context you're looking to get better at. Now, when you're playing a game of tennis, both games are happening at the same time. The inner game and the outer game are both happening at the same time. So it's not about choosing, should I play the inner game or the outer game? Really, it's just about which one should take priority. And of course, in everything else in life as well, in almost every other human activity, there is also this battle between the outer game and the inner game. There's always the external obstacles that are stopping us from getting to our external goals whether we're seeking wealth or education or reputation or friendship or peace or simply cooking up something for dinner, there's all those external obstacles. But there's also then all the internal obstacles of the inner game as well. The very mind that we're using to obtain our goals is easily distracted by worrying, by regret, by constant instructions, constant judgments, constant criticisms. There's all of these constant inner difficulties going on at the same time. So what we've been really talking about is really finding... Uh, peak performance and while we're talking about tennis what we're really spoken about today is it's, there's a better natural way of learning we need to trust ourselves ourself too and our abilities we need to be kinder to the way we talk to ourselves when we're trying to learn something and if we do so we can build self-confidence we can change the habit and we can learn a lot more skills and try and find our peak potential and our best version of ourselves in every context so if you play tennis you can of course apply all these lessons directly to your tennis game the next time you're on a court having a hit with a mate but if you don't play tennis you can also apply all these things that we've been talking about and apply them to whatever your game of tennis is whether it's sport whether it's business whether it's career whatever you're trying to do in life 